Welcome to the City Grace Summer Breakout Sessions. This is Session 9, The Missional Church. So this is session nine. Um, last week, James, um, in his talk, sort of explained how um, being a follower or a disciple of Jesus naturally leads us into being missional. And he tried to explain what that word missional was a little bit, but basically he defined it as, um, as us being on a mission. And so I'm going to explain um, a little bit more about that tonight and uh, to give you a little bit of a history lesson about where this whole idea about being missional comes from because actually people didn't start using that word missional or talking about missional um, until about 10, 15, maybe 20 years ago if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Michael Frost is an author and he's got this amazing book called Exiles. And in that book, he talks about the age or the era of Christendom as having been completed or as finished and how the church needs to um, get over what, it, what Christendom was all about. We need to get over the fact that Christendom is uh, no longer functional or active. Now, Christendom was the, the dominant sort of, in the, in the West, Christendom was the dominant culture for, I guess, 1,500 years. Um, ever since... Christianity went from being a fringe, sort of subversive movement of Jesus followers to becoming, as you know, uh, the official religion of the Roman Empire. Ever since that happened, sort of Christendom has been in effect. However, ever since the Enlightenment and since people questioning the existence of God and questioning um, the authority of the church, the, the Christendom has been in decline and the power of the church has been in decline as well. Um, so Christendom, the, the culture has the sort of fo- the following characteristics, as you can see up, 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 on, the, up on the slide, is that um, for in Christendom, Christ- Christianity was essentially mainstream. Um, after Constantine main, made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, basically everybody was assumed to be Christian. You were born a Christian. To be part of the church was a good thing. It was socially advantageous to be Christian. It was considered respectable. Um, and this, in, a lot, in the minds of a lot of Americans, um, probably tw- not so much now, but 20 or 30 years ago, um, America was still thought of as being very much a Christian, a Christian place. Um, the ideas of the status of the church were dominant for so long, but the problem that Frost identifies is that even though Christendom is over, the church still operates as if Christendom is still in effect, if that makes sense. The church still thinks that, um, that it has a position of influence and dominance in society, Whereas the reality is that since we live in a post-Christian culture, um, Christianity doesn't have anywhere near the standing that it used to have. Uh, A lot of people think actually very poorly of Christianity. Churches are not sort of natural gathering places. Like in the old days, um, in the States, in small towns, you used to have a large church that was at the center of the town, and it would usually be in the downtown area, accessible to everybody. 
And that was where the community gathered. That was the natural gathering place. And even politicians on their way through town would use the church to hold public debates and stuff like that. It was a mainstay of American culture. But I think we all know, especially um, being, being younger, that that simply is not the case anymore. Um, people don't automatically check Christian on a, on a religion questionnaire. They would probably check non-religious, um, by and large, in the States. The problem that Frost identifies is that a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, haven't seemed to pick up on the fact that Christendom is long gone. And so he has some, uh, he says, we've been building churches for an era that has slipped out from under us. Now, I'm going to read you a quote, and it's a little bit long, so bear with me, but it's very, very important. He says, the death of Christendom removes the final props that have supported the culturally respectable mainstream suburban version of Christianity. This is a Christianity expressed by the Sunday Christian phenomenon, wherein church attendance has very little effect on the lifestyles or values or priorities expressed from Monday to Saturday. This version of Christianity is a facade a method for practitioners to appear like fine, upstanding citizens without allowing the claims and teachings of Jesus to bite very hard in everyday life. With the death of Christendom, the game is up. There's less and less reason for such upstanding citizens to join with the, Christian community, the Christianity community for the sake of respectability or acceptance. The church in fewer and fewer situations represents the best vehicle for public service or citizenship, leaving only the faithful behind to discover the Christian experience as it was intended, a radical, subversive, compassionate community of followers of Jesus. So he's saying that, in, in a way, the church now is in a position much like the Israelites when they were brought into exile in Babylon. They're a minority. They're outcasts. The church now, like the church in the New Testament and like the Israelites when they're in exile, is a fringe movement. It's not a dominant part of society anymore. And yet Frost would say that it's when Christianity is in the fringes and when it's not mainstream, is that is where, that, that is where it's, more, it's most powerful. And, and when people are humbled and people are, are socially weak um, in, in society, that's where the power of God really has the ability to be able to transform lives and to, and to have a big impact in society. So what we, need to, what we need to learn as sort of Christians who are exiles living in a post-Christendom world is that our attitude, our mindset needs to change. Um, a lot of Christendom, a lot of the churches continue to uh, work with a Christendom mindset. I think I have a couple of these up here. So one of the ways that the church somehow hasn't caught on and continues maintaining the Christendom mindset is the come-to-us mindset. So you can walk down you know, any town in the United States and see tons and tons of invitations to come to church. People are always saying, join us, welcome to church, please come out for this. We're having a fellowship dinner, please join us. And always it's this mentality that we're here hunkered down in the church and what we want is for other people out there to leave the comfort of wherever they are at and to come into our space. So it's a come to us mentality. Um, the problem is that the come to us mentality simply doesn't work anymore because now that Christendom is over and the church doesn't automatically have that level of respect and authority in society, the church is simply not seen as a place that any sort of average person 
would want to go, right? I don't get phone calls as a pastor saying, from people in the community saying, oh, you're a pastor, you're somebody I might talk to. Sometimes in the church, yes. But in society at large, the church is not seen as a place that really offers anything that they need. Maybe even the opposite. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, um, my super actually, at my building, and uh, if you were to ask him what he thinks about religion, he would say that religion is terrible. He would say religion is what separates people. Religion's poisonous. He um, was a Jehovah Witness at one point, and um, he had a very, very negative experience um, in the Jehovah Witness church. And uh, as a result, he said, I don't want to have a part of this any longer. And when he left the Jehovah Witness church, his family shunned him and said, we don't want anything to do with you anymore unless you convert back to Jehovah Witness. So he doesn't even have any, any contact with his family anymore. So you ask him what he thinks about religion. He said, religion is terrible. Religion is awful. Um, now that Christendom is over, people don't automatically assume or think that a church is where they would come in order to get anything. So the come-to-us mentality simply doesn't work because people don't perceive that we have anything to offer. Um, another, another mindset of, of Christians who haven't sort of come to reality, come to terms with post-Christendom, is the mindset of we have, we have the answers. Come to us for the answers. A lot, of, a lot of people believe that, okay, we have the theology, we have the Bible, we have the, we have the answers. We know how to get to heaven. We know, how to get to, uh, for, we know how to get your sins forgiven. We know how to be happy. We know how to like, make God happy. The problem is that the church has all these answers, but they are in large part not answers to questions that real people are asking. All right? I'm sure that if you have any um, friends at work and you were to come up to them and say, hey, I have really, really great news. I know how you can be forgiven from your sins. That, that wouldn't work. Why? Probably because they wouldn't know what sin was. Or even if they did have some understanding of sin, they, they wouldn't think that it was their problem personally. So you see, the church is answering questions, but it's not necessarily questions that people are asking. It's not things that people are, are wrestling with. Right? When was the last time you had somebody that came up to you at work and they're like, you know what, I've been up all night. I'm so worried about what's going to happen to me after I die. Can you please, after I die, can you please tell me how to get to heaven after I die? Show of hands for anybody who's come to you and asked you that question. Are you sure no one's asked you that? All right. So what does that say then about the church having answers but people aren't necessarily asking those questions? Um, another mistake that the church makes is that we, we make too many assumptions about, about what people believe. Um, in Christendom, there was a dominant sort of theological undergirding. There was a dominant set of beliefs or presuppositions that even the people that didn't go to church believed those things. So in Christendom, even folks that didn't go to church would still believe that there was a God, would still believe in Jesus, would still believe in heaven or hell. Those were all assumptions that people in the church and people outside the church could have, could have agreed on. But because we live in a pluralistic society and because Christendom is over, those are assumptions that, that we can't, we don't share those assumptions with anymore. So when the church communicates things, assuming that people share those, those assumptions, then we, we totally miss. It doesn't communicate. It doesn't, it doesn't connect with people because what's the point of talking, what's the point of me telling you what the Bible says when you don't actually even believe that the Bible has any weight or authority? 
you see, there's a whole step that, that I have to address before I could even try to teach you what the Bible says if somebody doesn't even believe that the Bible has any weight or has any authority. Um, so how is the church adapted? There's some churches that are sort of stuck in the Christendom mindset. They think that the church has a certain weight and authority that it doesn't have uh, in society. But there are other churches which have realized our current situation, their setting, and they've adapted and they've changed. And I want to share with you what the posture is of these churches that have made the shift. The posture of these churches that have realized that Christendom is over, that, um, that the world has, has changed. And the first posture is, uh, great, number one. The first posture is that of recovering a sense of sentness. The church realizes that whereas America used to be this, um, this missionary sending country, and we were the so-called Christian countries, and we sent missionaries out into the world, what we realize is that now, here in this place, we're called to be a sent people. We're called to be a missionary people. Um, we can no longer assume that people agree. We can no longer assume that people have a relationship with God. We have to recover this idea that even here where we are in this city, we're a sent people. We're on a mission from God to, to reach out and to connect with the world. Um, Jesus said that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And that is very, very true of us right here now in New York City. Um, that the church needs to have a posture of being sent to the world, um, connecting God's love to people who don't yet know it. And in a sense, this is so biblical, and, it, and it's, so, it's, so, um, it's so right in line with what the New Testament is about anyway. Because isn't the New Testament, when you read John in the very beginning, it talks about the Word taking on flesh, the Incarnation was about God is up in heaven, he sees people struggling here on earth, and God leaves the comfort of heaven and goes into the world. He be takes on flesh, he becomes incarnate, he goes to the people, rather than uh, waiting for people to come to him. Because of human sinfulness, we can't come to him. So recovering that sentness, instead of sitting in our ivory tower, in our, in our fancy church institutions, saying, come to us, join us, you're welcome to be a part of us, the sent church says, no, we're not going to stay where it's comfortable, we're not going to stay in the church, but we're going to go out. We're going to take on the uncomfortable role of leaving behind what we know in order to go out into the world. That's what recovering the sentness is about. We don't say, come to us, we say, no. Just like the Son of God came to us, left and went, so we too incarnate the gospel by going out. We're a sent people. Um, secondly, um, another sort of posture of the sent church is to see the church, to see followers of Jesus more as sojourners rather than as temple builders. So the idea of being a sojourner is that you are a guest in a place in a foreign land and you come with an attitude of respect. Um, you are on a journey. You're traveling. You have a host country. And the idea is that as Christians, we're not trying to convert people to our church necessarily, but rather this, the, the mindset or the posture of a sojourner is to, in humility to say, listen, I found something wonderful why don't you come along and journey with me, 
right? People are so sick of churches that are just trying to get better and build numbers. They're so sick of showing up at church and they feel like the only thing that churches want is for them to show up on Sunday and to give money. People are very skeptical of institutions that are just trying to gain more power and more control over people. So having this, this, um, this posture of a sojourner is saying, I'm not trying to build up my empire. I'm not trying to build up my church. But rather, in humility, I'm willing to leave the, the confines of the church to, go, to be sent out. I'm on a journey exploring who Jesus is, having Jesus be more in my life. And I welcome you to come alongside with me and to explore together this life that I found. Does that make sense, the difference there? Um, in terms of the posture, it's just a completely different attitude, a completely different way about thinking um, about what it means to be the church. And I think we've been doing this pretty well at City Grace Church because we've always talked about being a Jesus-centered church. And so our, the idea was always we welcome anybody no matter where they're at, and we're not trying to get them to jump a bunch of hoops to, to become like us, but rather what we're doing is saying, hey, listen, wherever you're at, whoever you are, wherever you come from, We've found life in Jesus, and we believe that the true life is found in having him at the center. You come along and journey with us and discover more who this Jesus is and have him be in your life as well and see if he doesn't bring new life and joy into your life as well. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a posture of humility, and it's a posture that we need to have considering that we're a minority in the culture and, uh, and that we live in a, in a world that simply does not, is not interested in us helping to build our own, uh, our own empires. Thirdly, and there's a third one and there's a fourth one, investing in relationships. The posture of the sent church, the posture of the post-Christian church is a church that foundationally and fundamentally is interested in relationships. The church recognizes that what God has done for us in Christ is he has restored the possibility of relationship with God. So relationship is at the heart of what this church is all about. And we're not, um, you know, we're not trying to condemn the world. We're not trying to hunker down and have a fortress mentality where it's an us versus them. And we have the good guys, the good Christian guys who are inside and the bad evil pagans who are on the outside. But rather, we have a mentality of, no, we want to engage in relationship. We want to know our neighbors. We want to know what their beliefs are. We want to know what their issues and their struggles are. Because think about it. How can we effectively preach the gospel to people if we don't really know the questions that they're asking? If we're just answering questions that they're not asking, it's not going to be relevant. In order for us to effectively love people, we have to know them. In order to know them, we have to be in relationship with them. So being sent means leaving the confines of the comfortable Christian bubble, going out into the world, realizing you're sent on a mission, and then getting to know your neighbors, getting to, um, getting to, getting to have relationships with your neighbors. The problem that churches oftentimes run into is they have so much going on that you spend all of your extra time just being a part of church activities um, and we're, you know, anybody who's been a leader in a church is guilty of this to some extent. What the church really needs to do is they need to be able to provide a place for people to worship, a place for people to be discipled, and a place for people to be able to support and encourage each other. And then we need to leave people alone so that they have enough time that they can be spending an evening or two with their neighbors, with secular work friends, and engaging in relationships. Because if we are doing so much as a church that your entire life is consumed with only work and church activities, then you have no ability to be able to have an impact in the world because you're not connected with the world. Does that make sense? Okay. Now I'm flying through here. Finally, 
Finally, the posture of the post-Christian church is more about action and less about talk. We live in a culture and a society in which I'm pretty confident that it is people are not interested in fine-sounding arguments proving that Christianity is true. It just doesn't work. Um, the problem is, because we live in a pluralistic society, all truth claims are, so, are somewhat subject. And everybody believes that truth claims are only true for, for you. They're only true within your given cultural context. So it becomes very hard in our setting to be able to make sort of overarching truth claims. Um, we can and we should make them. However, I think we need to be um, humble and skeptical that it'll be effective. Because people would just say, well, that's, that's what you believe. That's fine for you, but that's not necessarily what I believe. Right? So because people are skeptical about truth, I think there's a limit to how effective arguments can be. What people are really interested in is in relationship and belonging and experience. People want to see, they want to hear not necessarily what you believe, but they want to see it in your life. Right? So if you say you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, you believe you're saved by grace, then how is that grace manifesting itself in your life? If you believe that God is in control of things, then wouldn't you have a certain measure of freedom and, and be free from anxiety if you really believe God is in control of all things? Wouldn't you have a, sense of, a greater sense of peace? So if people see you, they don't see peace and they don't see freedom and they, they don't see joy, then why would they believe what you're saying? People want to see the faith lived out. They want to see you having a, a legitimate, real experience of God in your life and that being played out in how you live and how you act and how you treat people. And so I think the posture of the, of the post-Christendom church is going to, yeah, they're going to be articulate. Yeah, they're going to try to explain what they believe. But even more than that, they're going to be living it out. And that's another reason that being out in the community and loving your neighbors and serving and seeking justice is just as important as preaching the gospel because people, if they don't see it in action, it's not going to have any impact whatsoever. Um, I have a, had a friend of mine, actually, who I was trying really, really hard to reach out to him. I had coffee with him all the time. I invited him to church stuff. He got to know some people in the community. This was a number of years ago. And it broke my heart one time when he said that I, I'm not interested in coming anymore. And the reason is because I have friends and I've seen your friends. And it doesn't seem to me that your friends are any different than my friends. So I don't really think that Christianity is true. I've never had anybody be that upfront and direct with me. But that, that was his conclusion. And was he being fair in how he was judging? I don't, I don't know for sure. But anyway, the point being, if we are not noticeably different in the way we treat people, the way we love people, if we're not noticeably different in the way we are at peace with ourselves and love ourselves and care for ourselves, if we're not noticeably different in, in, in the way we work, in the way we love, in the way we do relationships, and especially in the way we do community together, then we simply can't expect people to want to get on board with it. They're not going to be interested. Because what's their, what's their assumption about religion? Their assumption about religion is that religion divides and religion causes trouble, as we see happening uh, in the Middle East even right now. So, 
what is it that holds us back from being missional? Um, I know that a lot of folks, when they hear that word, have kind of, they cringe and there's some fear associated with this idea of being missional. Um, a lot of people that I've talked to, I'll ask them, what do you think it means to be missional? And uh, the, they kind of imagine doing street, like outreach on the street, <laughs> like talking to strangers, handing out flyers, maybe standing on the corner with the blowhorn. And there's this idea of like street evangelism is what missional is all about. And I want to try to, to blow the lid off that and say that's really not what we're talking about. Um, and it doesn't have to be awkward at all. Missional can be very much, and we're going to hear from the guests who are going to be speaking about ways that they've been missional in their own lives. Deneen through dance and through hip-hop, and Justin through his relationships and friendships. Uh, James is going to be sharing about this missional community he, he started in Crown Heights. And you're going to be hearing examples of what it means to be missional. And sharing your faith, like the way Ray described it um, last week, is one way to be missional. But the idea of being missional is much broader. It's much broader than simply sharing the gospel with people. And it can happen in every area of life. It can happen at work. It can happen at the coffee shop. It can happen at the gym. Um, It's a mindset and a mentality that we bring with us wherever we go. But to understand what mission is, we have to understand what Jesus' mission was. And when we go to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see him announcing the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, his work, his teaching, his miracles, the whole purpose of it was to bring this this new reality of God's love, his justice, his peace, his grace into the world. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is near and and it continues to be near. It's on its way. He, in the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray for the coming of the kingdom So we're sort of in between. The kingdom's kind of here in one sense, but it's still not here. We're in the in-between. But whatever it means to be missional then has to do with the kingdom coming more fully into this world. And so what you can always be thinking about and asking yourself is as you look around in your life and you see people and you see institutions and you see systems, to ask yourself, where's their darkness Where are there areas in society or areas in people's lives, areas in your own life maybe, where the kingdom of God has yet to come in its fullness? And we know, we know what the kingdom of God brings with it because we see it in the life of Jesus. Look at this verse from Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or his blessing. So good news for the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. Um, And this is material, physical, emotional, spiritual. It's everything. Jesus brings healing. He brings restoration. He brings newness. He brings peace. So wherever you see an opportunity to bring peace, to bring healing, to bring renewal, to bring light, to bring love, that is an opportunity for you to be seeking the kingdom in very practical ways. Missional is anything which serves... You can go to the next slide. Great. Anything which serves the interests of the kingdom, promotes the kingdom, and recruits for the kingdom or demonstrates the values of the kingdom. So as you think about what it means to be seeking the kingdom, um, in your context, ask yourself this question. 
where hasn't the kingdom of God yet come? And how has God equipped me, equipped you through the gifts he's given you, the skills he's given you, the knowledge he's given you, to seek the kingdom in that particular area? That's what it means to be missional. And if this question is on your mind, if you think about this, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you're in relationships and friendships, if you're thinking, asking yourself these questions, and then willing to do something about it, then that's when your life takes on a missional aspect. That's when you become missional. When you become aware of those things and you start to do something about it.